Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this afternoon? Not too bad. How about yourself? I am doing excellent. Off and running here in 2021 and uh, just lots to look forward to. Hopefully, everyone is having just as good a day as we are. If not, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I promise. There always is. Matt, so something that, you know, again, over the last few years, a lot of headlines, a lot of hype around a certain buzzword. Well, there's many, a few, many buzzwords that are on, on, you know, on the hype right now, but one specifically is automation. I think it's something that, you know, we've adopted in oil and gas. There's a lot of automation out there. We've had a, I think we did an episode a while back talking about just, you know, automation in general, but I think kind of getting a little bit more narrow now talking about automation and drilling fluids would be important. Some of the tests that are out there, some, some technology that's available to the market, you know, some of it, you know, is used, some of it is not, but I think just talk, going through them and, and allowing the listeners to get an understanding of what's available. And then, you know, we can close out by, by just talking about where, where does it actually stand in our day-to-day lives? And uh, then we can go from there. What do you think? I think it sounds good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, then let's just go ahead and get right into the, the properties that are that can be measured automatically and maybe kind of describe what we mean by automated air quotes. So yeah, I'll let you go ahead and start. Let's start off with the one and only density. Yeah, well, and density, when we think about adding sensors to a rig and we're from a drilling fluids perspective, density is probably the first one you want to think about, right? We want to know our mud weight and we want to know it as often as we can, because if it goes lighter, that's a problem. Or if it changes, we want to know about it. And there's actually just a number of different ways that you can get the mud weight. And so I think, you know, probably the one that most people are seeing, especially if you've been out on a managed pressure drilling job, would be the the Coriolis meter. And a lot of this stuff's been around for a long time. It's adapted from other industries. It's fairly proven. But, you know, just kind of a little bit of of how a Coriolis meter works. Basically, you know, fluid goes into that big U-shaped thing. And there's actually two separate tubes in there. And basically a drive coil causes these tubes to kind of oscillate back and forth. And that generates, in essence, a a sine wave, some kind of, and, and, the phase shifting can be converted into mass flow rate. So you're getting flow rate and actual density. Mm. So all of these, I guess one thing I need to qualify is all of these are basically going to be some sort of sensor that does something. And then you do a bunch of math, which kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Now I'll, I'll take that back. There's a couple that are just an adaptation of what we're currently using, but the Coriolis meter, deep water rigs, you're seeing it a lot. So it is, it is coming, managed pressure drilling. And I think that's probably the most common, but there are other means to do this. So another one that I'm not as familiar with in the drilling fluids realm, but I know it exists, is basically think of like a tuning fork. So vibrational against the fluid, what's the response? The phase shifting there kind of you know helps you determine the density because there's going to be a delay and when you send that signal and when you pick it up. So a lot of this is, you know, harmonics driven, that kind of thing, vibrations. 
And then you back calculate how heavy was that fluid to delay my signal, you know, transmitting at that rate. And so, and a lot of these too can do more than one thing. So like you can calculate viscosity as you might imagine in, in a similar fashion. And this was used a lot in, you know, typical cosmetics, personal care products where you have like big vats of liquids and you want to know the density, but it's all homogenous. So the thing I'm less familiar with is, you know, a bayrite laden fluid, like everything, if it has a bunch of solids in it, how well does it do? And it, it seems like they seem to do okay from the literature. I just, you know, I've never seen one. So right. I got to be careful on that one. And then the last way that I have, I've seen pictures of the equipment and, and certainly makes a lot of sense is uh, think about just having a vertical pipe with a sensor at the top and a sensor at the bottom. And it's a fixed distance apart. You can calculate the hydrostatic pressure, right? Mm-hmm. If P1, P2, you've got gravity, you know, all that. And so uh, you can determine the equivalent mud weight. Now those are pretty sensitive sensors but it's a, a pretty basic fundamental way where you could automatically measure the, the weight of the fluid or the density of the fluid. So there's a number of options out there. I think the Coriolis meter is probably the one most people would be familiar with. Yeah. Uh, and there are some really good animations on YouTube. And, uh, you know, if you want to get a better than audio description of it, there's really good documentation on how these things work. So I suggest you uh, listen to us, and then go watch a video. <laughs> right. And we do hope to have a tech tip on uh, some of these automated drilling fluid measurements in the not too distant future. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll lead the horses to the water and then we'll let them, you know, decide whether or not they want to drink the, the video. Terrible joke, but that's okay. With regards to density, that's something that, you know, when I was on a rig, I wasn't really exposed to, but one of our clients, they use managed pressure drilling. And so often we do hear, you know, about them talking about the Coriolis meter or just the equipment to measure the density. And it's actually quite accurate. I mean, I've never really ran into issues where there's been a variance between the mud engineers check or the Derek Hens check, you know, and, and the Coriolis meter. So it's cool to see that the technology's gotten, I wouldn't say it's ever perfected, but, it, but it's gotten reliable and, and something that you can, you know, for the most part depend on. But again, Matt, I, I mean, I wouldn't fully depend on it. I think having another system in place, like, you know, the good old mud balance is always important. I mean, do you ever see mud engineers or, or Derek hands not needing to, to check the density being that we've got a consistent density checker all the time? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's like anything electronic, it can break, right? And at the rig site, you need to have something where you can do it manually. Mm-hmm. Some of these things do require some calibration you know, in the same way we calibrate a mud scale to water, right? You need to, you need to have a known density and do, you know, do some tweaking. And then, you know, I I think the other element of it is I've heard stories of, of people trying to introduce automation and rigging up the Coriolis meter improperly. You know, Mm -hmm. it needs to be at a specific angle. It, it, It needs to be set up in the right conditions. And the MPD folks all know that, right? It's their bread and butter. But if you try to get somebody else to come rig one up, they say, Hey, you know, I bolted this stuff on good luck. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, there's always the risk of having to maintain that. And, you know, I I think the interesting thing is being able to actually monitor things in real time and and do some trending. And, you know, do we get a big slug of cuttings all of a sudden? So there's, there's a lot of interesting things you can do with it, but you're right. Do we like outright replace it? I don't think so, but I think you could get pretty comfortable using it. Right. So, We'll see. Makes sense. Well, another check that we run 
regularly, supposedly, you know, every 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending on the operations, is another one we called viscosity. And by that, Matt, I'm assuming funnel viscosity. Or are you talking about like centipoise or what kind of viscosity are you talking about? So arguably you can do both. I mean, and, and you actually bring up a really good point. You know, one of the knocks on this equipment, and I would, anybody looking into it, I think you need to pay attention. Does it measure things at a constant temperature or does it at least record the temperature at which it's measured? Mm, good point. Because I've seen a number of these, for example, I've seen one where they measure electrical stability. Like they've just got the little probe that automatically dips in every once in a while, which is great, but ES is heavily dependent on temperature. And API says run it at 120. So if I'm getting it at 80 degrees Fahrenheit and then 110, can I really trend that when ES is all about trends? Yeah. So you either need a, you know, some kind of correction factors for temperature or you need to be accounting for it. And viscosity is no exception. So yes, you can get the effective funnel viscosity. Although many of these across different shear conditions can do a whole swath of things. So they can get you all your dial readings that kind of thing, just depending on the sensitivity of the instrument and what it's targeting. But the cool thing about this is there's plenty of data. We've talked about the Herschel Bulkley curve and that sort of thing. So if you get a couple of those specific readouts and you have this huge matrix of data to account for, you can get a pretty accurate interpretation by just saying, okay, well, I got these two readings at these shear rates. Now I can give you all the dial readings at any shear rate. Right. So that's, uh, you know, part of it where being able to calculate, you know, the whole suite of, of readings is, is possible. And so, I mean, just talking about the specific equipment. So one is a standard Kuwait viscometer. So the, the six or eight speed viscometer that you have, you have in your mud lab right now is called a Kuwait viscometer, right? It's got the floating bob and the sleeve that rotates at a certain shear rate. So guess what? You can put one of those on anything. You can basically have a, something that catches a fluid sample, pumps it into a chamber where that thing is sitting, heat it up if you, if you want to, take your dial readings and then flush everything out with base oil and put it back in the active system. And so, you know, you might not be able to do that every three minutes, but you could do it regularly enough. It's just, a, you know, you've got a little bit of mechanical equipment there to, to think about, but it's not uncommon. I mean, we have automated viscometers in our lab that, are exactly like this. Hmm. So that's probably the most like straightforward and easiest one to wrap your head around. But another one that you would see is, is a horizontal pipe with some pressure sensors, right? And so same deal. I'm, I have some sort of frictional pressure loss between sensor one and sensor two, and I can, I can measure the equivalent viscosity based upon that friction, you know, loss by having those two pressure meters, it's a little bit of math, and uh, come up with an equivalent viscosity. And, you know, you could do that at a couple of different points or, or even just one and fit it to a curve. And there are a number of papers that use this method out in the field and everybody seems happy about it, but if you weren't happy, you wouldn't publish a paper. So we'll qualify that. And one of the, probably the most prolific group that's been writing about this is, you know, Dr. Eric Van Ord at the University of Texas and his, you know, his students, are doing a lot of things on drilling fluids automation. And so they've come up with even a, a, a helical method. So basically, instead of having this big, long pipe, we are thinking, so you're going to set like a 10-foot skid out in a crowded backyard anyway and do all this stuff? No. There's probably not room. So they, they've, they've got a helical version that they've published. I don't know how much it's been field tested, but they published some things on it. Interesting. So, you know, there's, 
there's different ways to skin that cat is basically instead like a coil of tubing that you pump the fluid through. But either way, the concept is the same. You have some points where you read pressure and you calculate the friction from point A to point B. Gotcha. So those are kind of the main viscosity methods. I'm not saying this is comprehensive. I would just say kind of, you know, we keep an eye on these things because we're drilling fluids company. And so these are, these are just different methods that we've seen and they seem to work and have some, some track record so far. Right. So moving on to another check that, you know, we check again at the rig all the time, oil, water, and solids. So there's a method out there that, that you can automate this check. Is that right? To some degree, yes. Uh, I think there's, so you could basically get through some of these sensors, think of vibrational sensor again, could basically help you determine what the liquid phase is and what the solid phase is. And there's a lot in these like separator technologies, think about production, where you're producing oil and water at the same time that can actually tell you in an emulsion what's oil and what's water. Mm. And so these are basically probes more or less that, will help give you that same information, typically through some sort of vibrational mechanism. And so then you kind of get more towards the retort realm. Arguably, you know, if you're able to do a chloride check and a few other things, there are probes that, that use this technology that can do okay on this, iffy on the chlorides. But if you could do the chlorides, you could basically do an API solids calculation, right? And I think the retort, for a mud engineer's perspective, if you could automate the retort, that would make me the happiest because I got to clean the thing. It's, you know, there's a lot of error. It's a pain to maintain and run. But that I think probably still has a little bit more proving required. Most of the literature that we've looked at typically involves fairly academic, you know, fresh fluid mixes and, and that sort of thing. But in the longer term, I think that would be a really cool thing that we could get going, you know? Yeah, no, that, uh, and again, I think it's, it's easy to say that the, you know, the future is, you know, how can we automate more manual type procedures? And so, you know, whether that's in a year, five years, 10 years, I mean, ultimately that's the future. So like you said, Matt, for us to have a finger on the pulse of what's out there and, and to see how it adds value, you know, is extremely important. And, and if we can help, you know, push these type of technologies or at least assist in, in making them commercial ready. This is certainly something that we need to do our part in. So matter, is there anything else that you're aware of that people are working on that's kind of new age or sort of in the background that, you know, folks like myself and rig hands and just folks that aren't on the up and up on, on this type of stuff. Is there anything else people can look forward to coming down the pipeline? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot on the, think about ion analysis, a lot of that stuff that you could do with the probe especially like water-based mud, think pH, chlorides, those kinds of things are, uh, in essence, it's just coming up with a, a chamber, recording that data, keeping the probe clean and maintaining it automatically. So those are fairly straightforward and, and people offer those, but I think the issue is how much of a day rate do you want to pay to know the pH? Mm. It's the economics of it might not be as attractive as, as the ability to do it. You know, there's a few other things. So like inline particle size distribution is something that comes up periodically where let's say I've got a big wellbore strengthening program or something along those lines. You know, we already do particle size analysis using laser light scattering, laser light diffraction. 
And so basically rigging one of those up to a rig type application being able to effectively sample reliability still iffy, but it's certainly been done. And there is another method where basically you get the fluid very, very thin out, almost like on a microscope slide and, and think doing this many, many times a minute and you take pictures of the fluid and basically you can use imaging analysis to determine what are emulsion droplets, what are solids, maybe even to, you know, calculate the aspect ratio of those solids, so which are round and which are, you know, maybe, maybe tell a little bit more about the nature of them. So that's something that's, that's out there, but it's been out there for a long time. And normally if something's been around, I, I sort of scratch my head and wonder, will it ever take off? Yeah. An interesting one too, for solids analysis is, is x-ray fluorescence, which is a tool we have in our lab, but it emits some radiation. And I've read in Norway, they actually tried this basically where you could quantitatively determine how much bayrite because XRF does elemental analysis. So you come up with some curves and you say, okay, well, this is how much bayrite's in the fluid. And then I know everything else isn't bayrite. Their determination was that to actually do XRF, you needed a fairly powerful unit, which then created the radiation issue. The lower powered ones weren't doing the job, hmm. but maybe that's something that gets dialed in someday. It's, it's sort of tough to say, you know, fluid loss is one that I think would be another fun one as far as cleaning equipment that if we could automate it, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. And Dr. Van Orr, he sort of, he challenges, he says, well, do you really have to replicate the instrument or what if you could model this or basically measure all the fluid properties and then mathematically determine what the fluid loss would be? You know, I'm sure he would argue with me on this or, or I may be missing part of the point, but they're at least so far, they're sort of like machine learning tools using drilling fluids. It was interesting, but use some fluid properties that I didn't think would necessarily like ES that I didn't really think would be indicative of fluid loss, at least in varying fluids. You know, if you're just looking at the same fluid over and over again, and your fluid, your ES shot down, your fluid loss will probably go up. Right. Mm -hmm. So that probably has a lot more research and maybe several of his students will get their PhDs solving that problem for us. <laughs> right. But I, I thought it was interesting that he said, well, look, why do you need to like take leak off across a piece of paper, why don't you look, you just have to look at this totally differently because it's very difficult to automate a concept like that. So there's, there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, you're seeing these packages being offered both by kind of the mud suppliers and some of the mud companies. And uh, I think, you know, ultimately it wouldn't surprise me if the drilling contractors, just because from a maintenance perspective, it makes more sense for their people to own, operate and maintain some of this equipment. It's just part of the the day rate on the rig, but you know, you're, you're starting to see some of this. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the question that kind of keeps floating in my head is, is what, you know, what is the, the overall value proposition for stuff like this? I mean, I could kind of have, you know, an idea of it and, and being that it, it, it does, it, it sounds great. And I mean, automation, it's like, well, why wouldn't you, if the technology's out there, why not adopt it? Why not, you know, apply it and, and, and maximize its benefits I mean, what's your perspective on, on that? I mean, I think you just, the, the problem is, uh, like, I, th I think we'll get there. I think the cost needs to come down. I think that many of the people who are trying to sell this overpromise. I don't know if overpromise is a fair word, but I don't know if they're as familiar with what a mud engineer actually does. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, 
you know, a viscometer is difficult to operate and we can automate it. And like, we're like, look, you should be run off if you can't operate a viscometer reliably. Like, I'm sorry, but like, you know, shame on you as a mud engineer. I'm not quite sure that's an ex- excuse to introduce automation, right? And the other part of it is offering up the, you know, not really knowing what a mud engineer actually does and saying, oh yeah, you know, now that the mud check's automated, you don't need a mud engineer. And it's like, well, that's interesting. I don't know any of our mud engineers that say, man, the mud check is the most difficult thing I do all day. <laughs> it takes a little bit of your time, but there's so many other things that you're handling. And so I think you're a little bit lost trying to trying to make that claim. And so the mud engineer is still there. And now you're saying, okay, well, I've got to pay a day rate for all this equipment. And look, this is me thinking out loud, but maybe someday you could have a mud engineer that could watch more than one rig, right? They can yep. see the properties, they can go react. Well, I know directionals, you know, they've worked quite extensively on stuff like that over the years. And now you're hearing about these, I don't know, not data centers, but basically spots where, you know, people will go yeah, to remote operating centers. And that yeah, sort of that's right. Yep. Yeah. I lost and I, I mean, it's fantastic, right? You have an, you have a subject matter expert who can see six rigs running at the same time and look and say, ah, that one's, you know, not doing this. And right. with tools, I think it's, it'll come first with tools just because whatever's happening down there against the rock, like those measurements are consistent, right? Yeah. Chemistry is a different beast. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's always been the story, right? You know, being able to anticipate things, even just, you know, walking on the pits and just looking and saying, wow, there's, I see, it's getting a little dull over there. Like, let me mm. get some chemical going. That's true. A lot of what we do is, is based off a of, of touch and feel, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, some of the value propositions, I, I love the, you know, hey, we can get your rheology every 15 minutes, you know, wouldn't that be great? Well, what happens if your rheology suddenly changes? You're probably going to go do a mud check or, you know, find out what's going on, check your valves, make sure there's not water leaking into the oil-based mud or whatever. But, you know, the fact is that we still have a funnel bus out there, right? That a Derek hand can run pretty regularly. And if it changes, there you go, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's some of these intermediate steps where people are like, well, people only run mud checks twice a day. And well, how often are these things changing and how, how critical is it when they change? And it's like, I can see fluid get thick if it was that bad. So right. does it save me 10 minutes of reaction time or could I, would it, does it change anything about what I do? I, I certainly can't get the Derek hand over by the hopper in 10 minutes. Right. So I think some of that is kind of the overpromise. Then you get it out in the rig and they look around and say, okay, where did, where did this pay for itself? Yeah. I think if I was to think of it like kind of Jetson style, I mean, these are all tiny little steps to get to fully automation. And what does that look like? Maybe it has all this equipment on the rig. It, it, it checks the stuff real time. You've got a trailer out there with pumps and product and it's pumping product real time, trickling things in like, I mean, that, that to me is the future. Now, how do we get there? I have no idea, but that's all steps in that direction, right? Yeah. And there's going to be hiccups along the way. And I think there's going to be a lot of things where we thought we were going to do it one way and we didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'll just add a, some of the other things that I see on the value proposition are, you know, I saw one where they did an ana- analysis of how much money they saved by showing, you know, sweeps in an unconventional well and what it was bringing back. And that's great. But why are you pumping sweeps? You have 7,500 PSI pumps. They're like, go back to Fred Dupree's podcast. Like 
it is not hard to clean the hole. Like, like you are solving a problem that doesn't exist or at least like create, you know, that problem was created by poor engineering or lack of knowledge. And so at that point you say the savings is maybe that data set convinces people to stop doing that, but we knew that. Right. So as much as we say, we're going to automate the future, we still have a lot to do to educate ourselves and, and each other on what the latest best practices are yeah. and understand that they keep evolving too, along with sensor technology and new ideas. So I don't know. There's just, there's a lot there, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting conversation and one that just becomes, you know, more and more common, but uh, definitely things that we need to stay in, in front of and, and have conversations about to, make sure that, you know, we are educating the folks that are looking to apply this type of stuff. So Matt, with that said, I don't have any more questions. I'm sure everyone wants to get back to whatever they're doing, especially uh, yourself. So any closing last words, buddy? I would just say, you know, if if you're working with an operator that's looking into this or has questions, we think the data is valuable and and we think we can complement those data sets. But I think we also want to be really real on where the savings lie. And I hope there's more and more conversations about that. So understand that there may be some spots to just try automated density measurement or something yeah. like that, like dip your toe in, but we don't need to, we don't need to build Rome in a day. That's right. <laughs> so that would be my closing thought. Excellent. Well, with that said, everyone out there, please support the show, subscribe. And if you could, I know a lot of you listeners out there haven't left a review yet. So please take a few minutes Leave a review if you could, even if it's just a few words uh, that help support the show. and, and Validate us. us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just please tell us we're doing a good job. But yeah, and if you want to hit us up on LinkedIn, have a conversation around any topics that we've covered over the last, I mean, shoot, over a year now, we'd be happy to do so. Or hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. With that, be safe, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.